Hello and welcome back. Eddie Radosovich, George Stoya here from the Suterscoop.com studios. Welcome back to the Suterscoop.com YouTube page. George, it is here. The uh, opponent preview for the Texas weekend is upon us. And uh, happy OU Texas to you. I'm pumped, Eddie. It's going to uh, be fun. My adrenaline is high. Uh, anxiety we were, is high. We, we were talking before we started that it feels like it was Friday today. Yeah. And I know it's just Thursday, but it feels like it's Friday. It it's feels like, like Friday the weekend week. is here. Yeah. It's felt like that since Monday, right? Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's it's uh, the anticipation is high, right? Uh, the, the discourse on social media. Uh, Extreme. It's been... One way to say it. Some of the comments that have been thrown out there from national media, fans, whatever you have it, uh, has Yeah, what been, was it on, on Wednesday? Joel Klatt said that Oklahoma should be scared to play in the game, which is... I. Weird? I, I, yeah, I, don't I don't know. I don't know how to say that. Yeah, and, and when he his point was, um, you know, well, you know, Dylan Gabriel didn't play last year, sure. but uh, they should still be scared because of what Texas did a year ago. I, I hate to break it to you, Joel. There's a lot of new guys for Oklahoma. This is a very different Oklahoma team uh, than it was a year ago. So it's not just Dylan Gabriel, but uh, I don't know. I, I'm just ready for the game to be played, Eddie. It's, yeah. It's, it's uh, close enough, and, and um, you know I think Saturday is going to be electric. Well, let's jump into it. We will be joined by Joe Cook later in the program from Inside Texas. Look forward to uh, getting to know the Longhorns a little bit better. We talked to you guys last on Tuesday when we went over the Brett Venables press conference. We talked about some of the things that were said at Monday night's availability as well. Didn't have availability on Tuesday night, but uh, understandable. It's a big week, and uh, you know I think Brent Venables doesn't want things to go awry. Uh, which is, you know, it's as we said Tuesday, it's quite understandable just in terms of, uh, you know, why they canceled the availability for players on Tuesday night. But uh, it's here. And, you know, I, I think that let's start with the quarterback position. Yeah. Uh, Dylan Gabriel obviously didn't play in the game a year ago, had the injury, the concussion against TCU the week before. And, you know, I think that that was kind of like the point of the season that, Things obviously were turning. Yeah. They, you know, they they kind of limped into Fort Worth after the Kansas State game. Uh, it was also just kind of a gut punch, just as far as that was the third game that they had lost at the Cotton Bowl and the fashion that it, uh, you know, kind of unfolded. It's kind of fun to think about how Dylan Gabriel's playing now, moving into this week, matched with a Texas defense that is very obviously playing well. The biggest question mark for Dylan is how is he going to handle this environment? Right? You you look at the way that he's played through five games, he's been great. But what's been the true adversity that he's faced, right? Uh, you look at Cincinnati on the road. Um, you know, I thought he played okay there, right? Uh, he, he missed some big throws, some plays. Uh, the offense wasn't great at times. How is he going to react in this environment? He's played really, really well uh, through five games. But there's no simulating what this this game is like. And so that's why it's going to be interesting, too. How does Jeff Lebby call the game? Is he conservative? Is he aggressive to start the game? Does he let Dylan kind of play his type of game, take some shots down the field early, try to get him some success, maybe with some short passes? I don't know. It's going to be really intriguing. Whereas on the other side, Eddie, Quinn Ewers has played in this game. Now, last year it was a different Oklahoma team. wasn't as difficult. But Quinn has also played in some other big environments. You know, going to Tuscaloosa and playing probably the best game of his career against a really good Alabama defense. So... Uh, it's it's quite the battle. I think statistically, Dylan Gabriel has the edge in some stats, but uh, these are two, in my opinion, the two best quarterbacks right now in the Big 12 
Uh, and so it's going to be a fun battle to see those two go at it. Quinn Ewers, 24 for 38 for 349 yards. The three touchdowns, probably most important. Zero interceptions, zero sacks in the game in Tuscaloosa. 34-24 victory for Texas. If this becomes a quarterback battle, it would be interesting. I think that, you know, we haven't really truly had one of those in a while at the Cotton Bowl. But this is what Brent Venables had to say about that quarterback battle coming up. Well, again, yeah, don't don't try to force the issue. Let the game come to you. But all successful quarterbacks will be the first ones to tell you they're successful because of they're surrounded by pretty good parts. And, you know, whether that's a good line, it's a good running game, that's, you know, quality receivers that can get open and uh, they can block in the run game, uh, uh, a defense that will complement them and not – you know, put them in tough positions, but poise is incredible, uh, uh, incredibly important at uh, that position, uh, without question. Everybody looks to that person from a leadership standpoint and, uh, uh, you know, a focus standpoint, a, uh, sometimes emotionally uh, as well. Uh, but that's that goes with that position from a leadership standpoint a lot. Uh, is on that guy, and they've got yeah, they have some special qualities. Both of those quarterbacks have special qualities, you know. Both of them have, uh, you know, been playing the position, you know, for a long, long time. And uh, Quinn certainly is uh, playing at South Lake uh, uh, there in Dallas, and then going to both Ohio State and Texas. He's he's in as big of an arena as you can be in, and both in high school and in college. So. Uh, but both of them are incredibly well equipped uh, to have the, you know, they have the right poise. It is an important quality trait to have in all situations. And this week will be no different. But, but I would be, you know, negligent if I didn't uh, say part of that key is again just trust in the team that you have around you, and you don't have to, don't try to. Oh, this week I got to put on my Superman cape. That's that's not the case. And, uh, but you got to play well. You know, you can't go around and fart around and uh, make bad decisions and not have great ball security and uh, n- not execute, you know, uh, within the system. Texas has a lot of uh, skill position right around uh, Quinn Ewers, and it's been uh, pretty obvious. I mean, uh, A.D. Mitchell, uh, he kind of burst onto the scene in Tuscaloosa. Yeah. Everybody knows about Xavier Worthy. Uh, Jordan Whittington still in, uh, in, in Austin, as well as Jatavian Sanders. It's let's talk about that matchup just for a second, George, as far as Texas wide receiver skill positions versus an Oklahoma secondary that is much improved going into the Cotton Bowl than they were this past year, as well as maybe four, five, six years here over the last couple. I think you should feel pretty good about OU secondary going into this game in this matchup. I look, they've got Texas has got some great skill players, probably some of the best in the country, but the way Oklahoma secondary has been playing. You look at Woody Washington, has just been totally solid, has played the most snaps of any OU defensive player through five games. He's been really good in coverage. Gentry Williams is starting to really come along for him at the other corner spot. They're going to be asked uh, to do a lot on Saturday. You also have some some younger guys that I think you're going to see get some playing time. Maybe we see a Makari Vickers whose snap count starting to go up, a Josiah Wagner who's starting to get healthy. Can I Walker? We'll see if he's able to give it a go at corner as well. I think we're going to see some Kendall Dolby, Eddie. He's been playing more and more. And then you look on the back end, and I think their safeties, they gave up a couple big plays against Iowa State, but overall they've been really good this year. Billy Bowman uh, is kind of leading that group. Reggie Pearson uh, is back from injury. He's playing well. 
and then you've got Key Lawrence as well. And, and who knows? We'll see Peyton Bowen. I just listed a lot of guys, Eddie, but that makes you feel a little bit better that you can throw a lot of different bodies at these guys. And maybe if someone's not having a great day, maybe somebody gets hurt early or somebody gets busted early, uh, you feel good about maybe bringing somebody else in who might be more ready for the moment, whatever it may be, because uh, that's going to happen, right? And so how these guys respond. But I think you have to feel pretty good. It, it, I'm more interested, Eddie, in can, can the pass rush get after Quinn Ewers so that maybe yeah. he can't get it out to some of these guys because you're asking a lot of a, a Woody Washington, Gentry Williams to stick with an Xavier Worthy for more than you know three or four seconds down the field. So you're going to have to be able to create some pressure on Quinn Ewers uh, and get after him. Two things before we get to uh, Brent Venable's clip, talking about the wide receiver position at Texas. One, Reggie Pearson, and we talked about this on the unofficial 40, played really well against Texas a year ago, ended up with five tackles in the game, had an interception, had a fumble, uh, recovery as well when he was still at Texas Tech and an upset win in Lubbock for the Red Raiders. The other thing that I think maybe has gone under the radar just a tad this week, we talked about Dylan Gabriel and his return and playing in the game. Billy Bowman was out for Oklahoma a year ago. That doesn't mean that Oklahoma was going to erase a 49-0 victory. That, that simply doesn't mean anything. But I do think getting him on the field, he had the pick six last week, George, it's a step in the right direction for that secondary. And they've been really good overall so far. And Billy's one of the more underrated players in the country, I think, at his position. He's he's playing really good football. You may not always see it at times, uh, but he's an elite player. And honestly, Eddie, I forgot he didn't play in that game. And, I, and, I'd completely forgotten until I was going back through some of the tape yeah. that we had. And, and you could make the argument for Oklahoma last year, Billy Bowman was their best defensive player when he was healthy. And so for them to not have him a year ago in that game, like you said, it doesn't change the outcome probably no. in, in, in the sense that uh, Oklahoma lost 49 to nothing, but he certainly helps, right? I mean, he, no doubt. he was one of their best players a year ago. He's again, one of their best players. So, and, and you also just think his experience, you know, having been in this game before, I believe he played as a true freshman in this game. Um, you know, he, he's a guy that is just going to help them tremendously. Back well, there. and just keeping him on the field, if you're going to yeah. move Peyton Bowen around, maybe play him at some cheetah, uh, going into this week or Reggie Pearson or whoever, it just helps to have more bodies over there. But Oklahoma does have their work cut out for them against a Texas wide receiver unit that is certainly elite for Quinn Ewers. Here is Brent Venables as well as Woody Washington talking about that matchup. Well, I'm still trying to figure that out. If anybody's got any uh, ideas, let me know. Um, they're really good. They're super fast. They're big, um, great hands. Uh, they play with great effort. Uh, I see great teammates, you know. If they're not getting the ball, they're blocking, cracking. Uh, celebrating their teammates' success. I look at all that. I like to try to get to get to know a, an opponent. You know, feel like connected, so I can do a good job of of when we're in our moments in the meeting room or on the practice field. I can a adequately portray uh, what our guys are getting ready to, to face. Uh, but these guys are uh, home run hitters, man. They're the real deal. Uh, excellent players. They're gonna play the game a long time. And uh, our guys are excited about uh, the challenge. It's going to be a real challenge. And uh, but you know, I got to challenge our guys if we want to, because our guys know we're, we we haven't we haven't played uh, fully to our capability. And if you want to get there, then you got to have challenge to create the change that you that you want. And uh, so you need the challenge and to see where we're at and get exposed and uh, you know where we got to go to work at. But these guys are really, really good, and they're well-coached. 
No, yes, sir, definitely. Because, I mean, you know you're going to go into the game and you're going to get a lot of balls thrown at you. So just decided to have the opportunity to go out and make plays. I think it's going to be a really good test for our secondary. Uh, you know, they got a couple good receivers, uh, Mitchell, uh, Worthy, a couple other guys uh, really fast. So, I mean, I feel like it's going to be a huge test for us. Ten interceptions for Oklahoma. And as Woody just said, they're going to have opportunities. Uh, you certainly, in this game, when everything is heightened, when every minuscule uh, moment of that game is put under a microscope, you got to take advantage of those opportunities, right? When when you have an opportunity to pick the ball off, that can change the momentum of a game. It can change the momentum of, uh, you know, anything that happens inside the, uh, the, the confines of the Cotton Bowl. Yeah, I mean, Quinn Ewers is a guy, he's only thrown one interception this year. Um, it came last week against Kansas. Sure, and it, it looked kind of like, in a way... I think the the linebacker kind of got hidden behind the umpire, yeah. uh, and I'm not like sticking up for Quinn Ewers. He was the one that I don't know. The ball. It sounds like you are. Well, I'm a big Texas horns fan. up for right. Peace. Yeah, uh, I'm a big Texas guy. Apparently, on this on this airwave. But I mean, to to your point though, Eddie, there's probably going to be still a couple balls, sure. you know, three or four balls thrown up that you're gonna be able to make a play on, and when those happen, you've got to get one right, and and that's what changes this game. We've talked about it so much this week, Eddie, but. Those game-changing plays, the interceptions, the fumbles, the strip sacks, whatever you have, it, it, it's it's those plays that can change the whole course of the game. So uh, those those defensive backs for Oklahoma have to take advantage of that and also just have to you know uh, not let the big play happen because when those big plays do happen, uh, like I said, it can swing the momentum uh, to the other side. I just wanted to see if that body bag that you put Aaron Murray in was underneath the table. One of the things that's going to be important for Oklahoma, as you pointed out yesterday on Twitter, yeah. or on, uh, I believe it was Tuesday on Twitter, getting pressure on Quinn Ewers. He has been very good at times this season, but I think just like any other quarterback, just like the Texas is probably going to try to do the same for Dylan Gabriel, getting pressure on the quarterback, winning battles from uh, defensive line, offensive line, or offensive line, defensive line, whichever way you want to go, very, very important this week, George. Definitely, and uh, the stat I put out there yesterday was uh, Dylan Gabriel under pressure this year, 51.9% completion percentage. Quinn Ewers under pressure this year, 50% completion percentage. And Ewers has actually been under pressure a little bit more. I think 34 attempts this year he's been under pressure. So uh, if Oklahoma can get after Quinn, maybe he'll make some bad decisions. And and we've seen Oklahoma you know, get to the quarterback a few times this year. Um, you know, I think they're going to have to bring some exotic blitzes, which – that's right up Brent's alley. I don't think we've seen all of what he he can dial up this year. We've seen that in previous OU Texases when he was the defensive coordinator, uh, you know, 10, 10, 12 years ago, whenever it was. Uh, so it's going to be interesting to see, you know, does he try and bring more? Does he tr trust the four guys up front to get after him? Uh, we haven't seen, you know, those guys win a whole lot, just, you know, four on five there. But uh, I wouldn't be shocked if we see a lot of Danny Stutzman, Jaron Kanick, uh, DeSalle McCullough, uh, you know, coming after the after Quinn and, and trying to force him into some bad decisions. Let's talk defensive line for Texas versus Oklahoma's offensive line. That's a big one for me. We've talked about the run game, how important that is. It's a cliche line going into OU Texas at the Cotton Bowl. You got to be able to run the football. Just as important if you're going to take advantage of Texas's secondary, which I think Oklahoma does believe that they have some chances there. There's going to be some opportunity there. You have to be able to protect Dylan Gabriel. And they've done a great job of that so far. They rank third in the country in sacks allowed, uh, only given up four this year. And so they've done they've done a really, really good job with that so far. It's the run game that you're like, man, if they can run the ball, they got a really good shot to sure. win. The statistic out there, I think, in the last 16 meetings, 
uh, the team that's run the ball for more yardage is 14-2 and two in this game. So you've got to be able to run the football uh, to win this one or create a lot of turnovers if you can't run the football. So um, that's where this this is the big the big test for this Oklahoma offensive line. They've been really good in pass protection. Uh, they're gonna have to they're facing their best defensive line they'll face this season on Saturday. But it's also can they get a push in the run game and kind of get somebody sparked and going. On Tuesday, Brent Venables talked about Texas's defensive line as well as McCade Matower talking about how they're going to try to protect Dylan Gabriel. Well, I mean, again, they've yeah, I think that goes without saying, and we. Texas has recruited well uh, for a long time. Uh, they've done a great job at, uh, from a development standpoint, both lines of the scrimmage. Uh, you know, um, I like where our guys are at. And uh, our guys have, you know, we've recruited well uh, as well. And uh, I feel like that we've, our guys have made the improvement uh, that we'd like and uh, we still want more, just like I'm sure they do. Uh, but uh, it, Again, should be a, a good matchup, both both sides uh, of the football. And I think if you you want to win this game, I think you got to win the lines of scrimmage. You certainly can't lose the line of scrimmage. You know, if it's a push, and then you uh, some other part of the game that you you're better in. Uh, but I think you you know you, that's going to be a, a critical part. You know, of this game, no doubt about it. Yeah, they're obviously a good defensive line. Uh, we're we're going to prepare just like every other week. But obviously, there's some. You know, different things with them being bigger guys and um, just we need to be more we need to be tighter with our technique we're not going to get away with um, bad technique and just using pure strength like we have a couple times I mean I've said that a lot but I think you know this week especially we need to be tight on that it becomes a little bit redundant George but five sacks nine tackles for loss for Texas's defense against Alabama and I, I don't say that to scare anybody I'm sure that Joel Klatt feels a little scared by that but or I guess happy Either way, it's going to be very important that they have maybe their best game of the season, right? And, you know, that was something that they talked to uh, McCade about on Monday. It's almost good in a way that you got the mix-up with Corleone up in Cincinnati. They, I, I don't think that they're necessarily going to be surprised by how physical, how big some of these guys are up front for Texas. And I think it helps, too, that they're starting to have some cohesion on that offensive line. You look sure. at Troy Everett come in it sounds like he's going to start at left guard moving forward and look is he the highest upside guy no but he's playing really solid football you look at Andrew Rame, he's playing the best football of his career in my opinion uh, McCade Matower you know what you're going to get from him I think Tyler Guyton has really started to come on Walter Rouse I think was a little bit banged up in that Iowa State game I think he'll be ready to go he practiced this week uh, but I, I, you feel good because it's starting to come together for that group and that's typically when it does for Bill Biedenboe's right around this game. So if they can put it together on Saturday, they're going to give Oklahoma a really good shot, whether that's running the ball, finally maybe getting that running game going, uh, or just protecting Dylan Gabriel. Because Dylan Gabriel's shown this year, when he's given time, uh, and, and those wide receivers are given time to get open, they make a lot of plays down the field. So you just hope that they can uh, they can continue that this week. Before we get to Joe Cook's interview, let's talk a little bit about special teams. And I think that that is something that uh, definitely not the sexiest thing to talk about, but it is something that is important. It's something that we talked about on Monday. It's something that we talked about on Tuesday uh, during the uh, Brent Venables, uh, you know, kind of recap show of what he said at his press conference. It's ultimately important, and it's kind of interesting, too, that I don't know if either Oklahoma or Texas would feel very confident if they're running out either of their kickers to go kick a 42-yard field goal to win the game. 
Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, you look back at Schmidt this last week, he misses the 36-yarder, which inside 40 yards, you got to be money, right? And and there's going to come a point in the game on Saturday that Zach Smith's going to have to probably kick a field goal. Uh, And whether it's at the end of the game or in the first quarter, it doesn't matter. Every point, everything matters in this game. And so uh, you, you, you hope that that confidence is maybe built back up. Maybe something, you know, went wrong with the snap or the hold last week. I don't know on the 36-yarder, but this is such a pivotal point. And and Texas, I I will say, Texas has also struggled a fair amount with field goal kicking this year. Punting uh, is another area that you you hope Oklahoma can figure that out. Josh Plaster has had some nice kicks this year, and then others that are just really bad, uh, shanking it, you know, for, you know, less than 40 yards. I think think Texas, Eddie, if I remember correctly, ranks fifth in the country in net punt yards this year, 45 yards per punt. Oklahoma – uh, somewhere in the 60s, I think, with 39 yards per punt. So. Transfer in from uh, Stanford, I believe, for Texas. And yep. then, you know, the Burt Auburn kid, he misses two a week ago. I think anybody that has been going down to the Cotton Bowl, uh, I don't know if I'm the only person that feels like this. I don't feel like Texas ever misses a field goal against Oklahoma. It just never happens. So I expect, uh, you know, I, I expect Burt Auburn to, uh, I guess, in a way, channel his, uh, uh, what's the kid, what's the guy's name? I, I completely Cameron forgot. No! Better, Justin Tucker. I oh. completely forgot. My apologies to uh, Mr. Tucker, an opera singer in his off time. How about that? What about Oklahoma's special teams unit? What about the kickers in Zach Schmidt and Josh Plaster? Here's Brent Venables heading into Dallas. Yeah, I mean, again, I look at it comparatively speaking. Uh, you know, I think some of our parts in the kicking game is, has been really, really good. and And so... You know, a good offense helps the punter, right? A bad offense doesn't help the punter. A bad defense doesn't help the kicking game. And so I think, uh, I think our kicking game um, has been uh, really solid uh, through the first four games and uh, uh, five games and uh, have a chance, you know, if we improve in some other areas, not having anything to do with uh, Zach or uh, Josh, uh, we could be outstanding. And... And again, they've been uh, they've been uh, really good. And uh, like like every other position on our team, uh, there's there's room for improvement. And uh, they'll be the first ones to admit that. But uh, they've done a good job, and and uh, we're gonna need them. They'll be a big part of uh, of this game without question. It seems a little bit redundant when we're talking about special teams, but I think that you just look at the here the history of this game, George. Special teams can change the game. And they can change the momentum of the game. And everybody knows that you go down to Dallas, you got to be able to take advantage of the momentum when you get it. We saw it in 2021 with Caleb Kelly and the strip of Xavier Worthy on the uh, on the kickoff return. You saw it, uh, you know, time and time again, whether it be Jordan Shipley back in 2008. There are moments within this game, and sometimes they come on the special team side of things, that you can get momentum, and especially if things aren't going well on offense or defense. I think back to even 2020, the four-overtime game, right? Sure. Gabe Burkich misses a kick. Absolutely. Uh, I think, oh, you blocked a field goal. Yep. Uh, you think back to Cameron Dicker kick. Uh, how about James Winchester with the muffed punt recovery? What year was that? Was that 2010? It would have been right around there, yeah. Yeah, something like that. You know, it's those type of plays Maybe a little can bit change later. the game. Do Maybe what? a little bit later than 2010. I, don't I can't remember. remember. 
But you, you know James, you're getting about. old out there, bud. You've been in the NFL for like 12 years now. But my point is, it seems like every year, no matter what year it is, some sort of play happens on special teams. Alex Ross kickoff return for a touchdown. So, and I feel good about Oklahoma's return game. I will say yeah. that. I think that's one spot Oklahoma might have an advantage. I think Farouk could, you know, take off a big one. Gavin Freeman, we've seen what he's been able to do. Uh, Texas has muffed a couple punts this year, so... Uh, I wonder if that's a spot that Oklahoma can maybe take advantage of. Well, and remember back to uh, the Superman play. That doesn't happen if Texas yep. doesn't muff a, a, or misplay, I think is probably the better way to say it. A punt, they put them inside the five, and you know the rest is history with uh, Roy Williams flying over the air and Teddy Lehman taking it in. So that is, uh, that's certainly interesting in, just in terms of this game, what that stuff means. It's, it's going to be ultra ultraly. Is that even a word? Important. I don't know. Here is our interview with Joe Cook from Inside Texas talking on the Longhorns. Welcome in, Joe. Uh, thanks for joining us today. Obviously, it's a big week up here on this side of the Red River, as I'm sure it is down in Austin. Thanks for coming on. Yeah, excited to do this, and uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. I think this may be one of the more anticipated matchups in, in over a decade, so let's let's get right to it. Yeah, no doubt. It's, uh, you know, it's, it's kind of interesting because, you know, Texas is in a spot where you come off the win in Tuscaloosa, and I, it feels like from the outside looking in, uh, this is kind of a monumental game for for Steve Sarkeesian in Texas, just as far as kind of a statement, if you will, to the national landscape of Texas is back. And I'm sure that you've heard this time and time again, but this one feels real. Why is that? I think there were a lot of expectations this year by Texas fans to at the very minimum, be in Arlington in December, probably more so win the Big 12. And that game in Alabama that you talked talk about, that was maybe a point to where, okay, what do we see with the – how do we really determine how high these expectations should be? Well, if you went on the road in Tuscaloosa, no matter what condition Nick Saban's program is, you're just going to start racing to the top uh, right away with, with your expectations. So that, that definitely was the case. I mean, Texas is number three in the country. They're getting first place votes. Uh, Texas fans are on, you know, on top of cloud nine right now. But the Sooners obviously represent the, the biggest remaining challenge that's currently on the schedule uh, in, until, you know, maybe they meet again in, in December in Arlington. So this is a big game. Um, it's obviously got a lot of, uh, uh, you know, people looking back to last year and from the Texas side thinking, Oh, okay. You know, it's it's that same team. It's obviously not because OU's a lot better, um, and and but it, it sets up to be just another high quality inflection point to where if Texas wins, then you can start honestly using that playoff discussion and being serious about it. And if not, I guess they're still in it. I mean, it's just one loss in the first half of the season. Uh, but it'll determine whether the, the trajectory the team appears to be on and appear to be on leaving Alabama is still as high as people thought, or if it's time to maybe think that, okay, maybe you don't have to be in the playoff picture, but the, now it's time to repurpose and go forward to, to win a Big 12 title. Joe, let's dive into a bit of the this matchup between OU and Texas. I know that you know all year we've talked over here at Oklahoma about uh, the rushing attack is is OU's kind of big weakness right now. They're not able to run the ball very effectively. I'm wondering, what is Texas's weakness? Because we've seen them play really good football through five games on both sides of the ball. What's maybe one area that Texas fans have been maybe concerned with through five games? 
What's really hurt Texas, and obviously this hurts any defense, is the big play. Yeah. Um, Jalen Milrow's not a great passer. Alabama doesn't have great wide receivers, at least compared to years past. They still got loose on two long touchdown throws, and a lot of that had to do with at least the safeties. Ryan Watts is at corner. He could play, could not play day-to-day as described by Sarkeesian. But corner's okay. It's got good depth. It's got good talent there. Safety, they rotate a lot, but that's where some of the big play busts have been. And it's usually been guys, uh, you know, everybody but Jalen Catalan, who's been a, a force when he's been on the field. So I think the as far as the Texas defense goes, it's putting those safeties in the conflict, messing with their eyes. And if they're able to do that, then, you know, the, the Jeff Levy offense that likes to score on big plays could find some degrees of success uh, just because that Texas has been prone to uh, letting too much go at certain times as far as chunk plays go. On the flip side of that, if that's the weakness, the strength, you start up front with Byron Murphy, Tavondre Sweat, uh, Alfred Collins. How good has that been? Group has that group been so far, and how good do, does Texas feel like they could be uh, in terms of uh, you know not just Saturday but moving forward? That group has moved the line of scrimmage back nearly every game. Uh, they did it pretty often against Alabama. They did it regularly versus Rice in Wyoming. And um, aside from some option plays that will mess with any defensive line they, they did it pretty regularly against kansas and for sure against baylor baylor couldn't do anything those six points were as re- were the result of two drop punts and the texas defense held them out of the red zone uh after those punts so that's that's definitely the strength of this defense um byron murphy to vondre sweat they played probably at a level higher than any expected this year and the other thing is they've been kept pretty fresh. Neither of those guys, I think, have played in more than 50 snaps in either game in a lot, or in any game. And that's, of course, due to ha- being three deep, at least primarily, and having some good rotation players like Vernon Broughton, like Trill Carter, uh, who can allow that Texas defense to move guys in and out and still be fresh over the course of four quarters. So they've been everything and more uh, that they've been uh, that they were projected. Byron Murphy even gets in on the, the action on offense, playing a little bit of fullback and catching a touchdown pass, I think, against uh, Wyoming. So uh, it's it's the best defensive line I, I've seen in the Steve Sarkeesian era. I know that's not a lot, but, I mean, Mora Ojimo and, and Keandre Coburn are on NFL rosters right now, and they were on the team last year. I think this defensive line is playing even better than than that group was. Let's talk about Quinn Ewers. Uh, he's playing some really good football, a lot like Dylan Gabriel, playing playing better than he did a year ago. What's been the secret to his success? Is it just another year in the system? Is it, you know, he's got so many weapons around him? But what have you maybe seen from Quinn so far? And, and I mean, he played his best game of his career in Tuscaloosa, in Tuscaloosa, I think. Yeah, he, he's got a grasp of the offense, and he's talked about that a lot. You know, when you're in your first year under a uh, – offense that you know was running the pros Steve Sarkeesian was with the Falcons and I'm sure that they've pared it down some but not a whole lot they would try to run a lot of different things and when you're a redshirt freshman you're basically in your first year at a new place that's a lot of responsibilities especially as you're coming back from injury that you suffered against Alabama in that first game now he's got a lot more control of the offense I think you saw him call motions and audibles and and checks very well in Tuscaloosa and over the course of the past couple games. He's also protected the ball really well, and I think that has to do with 
taking care of the mundane. You know, we always see the big throws from him. He's got the arm strength to, you know, go from one hash to the far sideline to hit those deep throws, and he's been more accurate. But he's done the mundane a lot better. He's hit the intermediate throws. He's hit the short throws. He's even, you know, hit the checkdowns, and he's avoided interceptions, say, for just last week against Kansas to where, you know, he's keeping the ball and he's moving the ball and he's relying on guys like Xavier Worthy, Adonai Mitchell, even Jordan Whittington to do what they do when they get the ball in their hands. And that's been the best part. And he's been a leader. Uh, he really has. I, I think, you know, you talk about leadershiping a lot over the course of the offseason and being a quarterback and that type of thing. Uh, but he's actually been that. He's been become a player that uh, the team can rally around and uh, the type of player who has lived up to a lot of his billing to where, okay, you can believe in this guy. You can believe in him as a leader and as a quarterback, whereas that wasn't always an easy thing to do last year, given his inconsistency and just his inexperience. The guys around him, the skill positions, I think that, you know, everybody on the Oklahoma side of things, they're aware of Xavier Worthy. Uh, they're aware of Jordan Whittington, obviously J Jatavian Sanders, who I want to talk about in a second, but Adonai Mitchell, that's a guy that Oklahoma, I think fans are more than familiar with uh, transfer guys coming in and being instant contributors. He had a little bit of a coming out party as well in Tuscaloosa. Yeah, and then he matched it this past week with, I think, 14 receptions for uh, 100, 141 yards or 10 catches for 141 yards and a score. He's been great, not only just in individual play, but in punishing defenses who really want to double cover Xavier Worthy. And Xavier Worthy is worth double coverage. He, he is, and Texas has moved him around to – try to create some matchups but if you're going to go ahead and do that well you're leaving a, a player who in all four of Georgia's recent national uh, or college football playoff games he caught a touchdown and big touchdowns at that so he's someone who it, it makes opposing defensive coordinators have to kind of do a pick your poison thing you want to double cover Xavier Worthy and leave Adonai Mitchell or uh, Jatavian Sanders or Jordan Whittington one-on-one -on -one or, you know, without maybe two guys over him, or do you want to test your luck against Worthy and see if your guys can beat him heads up? So that was not something Texas had last year. Uh, one of the, the key transfers last year, Isaiah Nayor, went down during camp. And so Texas had to run a lot of two tight end sets. And, you know, that worked when you had Bijan Robinson and Roshan Johnson, but when it came time to pass the ball, there just wasn't another receiver on the field, even if you factor in Jatavian Sanders, to really threaten defenses and punish double teams. Adonai Mitchell has been that, and he's unlocked a lot of the Texas offense, and, and Quinn Ewers is reaping the benefits as a result. I'm going to steal Eddie's question here and ask, yeah, about, go for it. Go yeah, for it. ask about Jatavian Sanders because I feel like that's one guy that everybody uh, at OU is talking about how they're going to match up with him. First off, Joe, what's, I guess, the latest status on him? Uh, in terms of injury-wise, and then secondly, I mean, how do you match up with them, and what kind of problems does he present? Or try to. Yeah. Yeah, so Steve Sarkeesian, after that Kansas game, he made it sound like Sanders could have gone in and, and played. Uh, so it didn't seem super serious. They, they, There wasn't a tone of concern in his voice. On Monday, they described him as day-to-day, as -day, and Steve Sarkeesian is as stingy with injury info as a head coach can be, which is really surprising considering he used to operate in a league that has to uh, give out injury reports and snap count updates on a day-to-day -day basis. So he may provide an update at his Thursday Zoom. More likely, we'll just figure out whenever teams start warming up at the Cotton Bowl. But I I'd assume he plays. 
And the thing that Jatavian Sanders can do is, you know, he can block, he can catch passes and run really well, but he's a big key in the red zone. And Texas missed him last week. Texas did not do very well in the red zone versus Kansas, at least in the first uh, or in the early portions of the game. And when you're going through your progressions on a, you know, 25 yard field, having option three be Jatavian Sanders can be a big help. Uh, so having him in the red zone, it, it will be a, a big thing for Texas if they get him back. I think that's pretty likely. I think even some of his family members were pretty confident on social media that he'd be playing. And uh, he'll be a factor for the Sooner defense to definitely have to watch. I think it was a couple of weeks ago, George and I were sitting up here at the uh, Sooner Scoop offices and we were talking about Oklahoma's inability to run the football. And you look at the national numbers. Uh, this was a couple of weeks back and both OU and Texas were in the mid 60s in run game. Uh, what has changed here over the last couple weeks and particularly last week against Kansas uh, when it seemed like it did come together for them and as well as Jonathan Brooks? Yeah, I think out of that um, Wyoming game, the Cowboys are really good at shortening games. I think Texas only sure. ran 50 plays, you know, and even if you have a good yards for play, you're, you're limited in your opportunities and Texas poured it on at the end and made the stops needed and, uh, got out of there with a pretty comfortable win. That took him a while to get. Uh, but Jonathan Brooks against Baylor um, reaped benefits of, of a Texas O-line that was just dominating a, a Baylor defensive line that couldn't match up. And then he's just started to show off that athleticism. Uh, you go back to Hallett, his days at Hallettsville. Uh, I think it's a 4A school in, in Texas, maybe even 3A. He's a doesn't-ever-leave-the-field player. He was at running back. He was at linebacker. He probably played 100 snaps a game. So he's used to having a lot of these um, big responsibilities on his shoulders. I think in a playoff game, he had something like 500 yards and eight or nine touchdowns. So he's used to being taxed. He had Bijan and Roshan ahead of him these past couple of years. And now that he's gotten his opportunity, he's taken it and run, he's taken it and run with it, which is a good thing for running backs. He's also got uh, C.J. Baxter. Uh, five-star out of the Florida, out of Orlando, I think it is. Um, he's shown some good qualities as well, but he got b banged up versus Rice, banged up versus Alabama. They held him out versus uh, Wyoming, and he got some carries versus Baylor and Kansas to where he's looking a little bit better. So uh, the run game has a good one-two punch, but the one so far has become Jonathan Brooks, who – uh, statistically is on as good a pace as Bijan Robinson was last year when he won the Doak Walker Award. Joe, last question for me. Um, obviously a huge game this Saturday. I think there's also a feeling maybe in Austin and in Norman that this might be the first of two matchups this year. Uh, do you think that this could be a, a, a rematch in the Big 12 championship game? Yeah, it's looking that way. You know, there isn't a team within Texas or Oklahoma right now, aside from Texas and Oklahoma, who are contenders to make the Big 12 title game. I don't think Tech is the quality team that people expected them to be. Baylor's awful. Um, TCU is not the same. And, and U of H, I think, is also pretty awful. Y'all are probably pretty familiar with what's going on in Stillwater, and it's not pretty so where are the contenders? Is it Kansas when Jalen Daniels comes back? Is it K-State if they've got everything working right on defense? Is it somehow West Virginia? Um, those are some big questions. And the funny thing is, I think Texas avoids both Oklahoma State and West Virginia this year on their schedule. So they don't get those two teams. But 
you know, all that's to say, yeah, this seems like it's going to be the first of two games between the two teams this year. Um, both teams have to hold up their end of the bargain. I think I answered a question on y'all's board, like what's the, the stretch of games that maybe puts the most fear in you? And it's home versus K-State at TCU at Iowa State or something like that in November. But looking at those teams now, there doesn't seem to be a lot of threatening firepower from any of those teams on offense or defense that would make me think that they'll be able to overmatch Oklahoma or Texas in the standings. seems like everything is magnified when you get to uh, the Cotton Bowl. Uh, OU Texas always expect the unexpected almost. It's so cliche, but it's so true. Uh, I think Oklahoma and Texas kind of match each other, or at least the fan bases match each other when talking about if you had to run a place kicker out to win the game from 35 yards. I don't think either would be uh, very confident in either kicker, Bert Auburn or Zach Schmidt. Uh, What's the situation with Texas special teams wise uh, going into Saturday? It's, it's been a mixed bag. Uh, Their kickoff coverage is great. Um, They, Will Stone has done a pretty good job of kicking balls deep enough to where uh, the opposing returners don't take it out. If they do, the coverage unit has made sure that teams don't get past the 20, let alone the 25. It's been strong there. Return, a little bit different. They don't take kicks out very often, but Keelan Robinson has fumbled a couple, uh, and that hasn't been good. Um, They had, like I mentioned, against Baylor, they had two drop punts. One was from Worthy, one was from Whittington. Uh, But aside from that, Worthy lets a lot of balls bounce, and it's a football. It goes odd ways. It could go back 20 yards and land on the one. It could go forward two yards and hit your guy in the calf, and you have to jump on it. Uh, But when he gets the ball in his hands, he's been pretty good on return. Um, The Texas punter is a guy named Ryan Sanborn, a Stanford transfer, who's been fantastic. Uh, He didn't have to work at all last week, but when he had to go work against uh, Alabama and even Baylor, did a great job. Uh, but then, yeah, field goals. Bert Auburn's a guy that I think Steve Sarkeesian and, and Jeff Banks of uh, various uh, forms of fame, um, they trust him from probably inside the 40. Uh, but once he start moving back, maybe to a 45-yarder and 50, he's not. he doesn't have a strong enough leg to make that and still be accurate. He could. He's got the leg, but his accuracy dips a lot. Um, and they obviously don't seem to trust Will Stone yet uh, in that responsibility. So that's definitely something to watch. It's been a mixed bag, and I think there are going to be a couple special teams plays that end up making a difference in this game. There always is, uh, it feels like, in this game, uh, whether it's a muffed punt, kick return. I mean, you think back to Shipley in 2008, um, you know, Alex Ross, you know, whatever year that was. It it also feels like, too, there's going to be a point that a big field goal is going to be kicked uh, and it can obviously shift the momentum. Joe, also, uh, do you have a favorite fair food? Is there anything that you, you enjoy most? The must of the midway. Yeah. Mu- is there something you really you really look forward to every year? It's probably the same for y'all. This is my favorite day of work every yeah, year. Yeah. And there's a feeling whether, you know, no matter what the result is, you walk out that big cotton bowl facade, that right by it. And by the time we're all done, the fair's kind of emptied out. Yeah. Uh, there's still leftover fans there. But all the lines are short, and there's a coupon stand right in front of it, and there's a beer stand just to the left of that exit. So I haven't really dabbled in the fried foods. I know you know you can't go wrong with the classics like fried Twinkies and, and fried Oreos. I love corny dogs, but, I mean, I'm, I'm there to 
uh, get to work and after work enjoy a, a nice beverage out of a wax cup without a line to have to sit through. Uh, that's my favorite part. Yeah. I love this game so much. I think I've been going every year since 2003, and I've only missed one. So it's it's my favorite day of work, and I can't wait to see it. It's hard to explain, and I think for people that aren't even the media side of it, it's hard to explain to anybody that hasn't been just the uniqueness of it, the atmosphere. Uh, you know, I think everybody has been on both sides of it, whether it's been an ass kicking or uh, you know the team that you cover, or the team that you went to school with uh, at winning. It's uh, it, it's truly a unique experience in and of itself, and uh, it is like you said, Joe. The best week of the year. We appreciate you joining us. He's Joe Cook from Inside Texas, and we'll see you Saturday at the fair. Thanks, guys. You bet. Thanks, Joe. Once again, a special thank you to Joe Cook for joining us. I know that he was on the Crimson Corner as well, answering all of your uh, questions about Texas and everything in in between. So that's kind of the the Texas preview, if you will. I know that today you had a pretty interesting story just kind of on the transformation of uh, Danny Stutzman into a guy that heads into the Cotton Bowl this year as a three-year starter. Uh, I I think in somewhat contention to be in that Buckus semifinalist, finalist-type role if he continues to play at the level he's playing right now. Yeah, it, it was a great story to write, a fun one to write. Danny's, you know, a great personality. It's interesting. He's, he's matured so much, and I think that's been brought to a lot of people's attention, but uh, you know, talking to his dad about the struggles of last year and kind of having to grow up. I mean, he was heavily criticized at times a year ago. He was, I think Brent's quote was, you know, are you going to be the funny guy? Or are you going to be the leader of this football team? And I think it's, it's safe to say that he's chosen to be the leader of this football team. And you've seen the maturation and, uh, you know, spoke to Teddy Lehman, who was great about it. Obviously the, the previous Butkus award winner uh, for OU, he said that he a hundred percent feels like Danny should be in that conversation. And he said, a large part of that is, hey, when when you win the Butkus Award, it's because you're playing on a great defense. And right now, Oklahoma's playing great defense. And he said, that's the number one thing that has to happen. Oklahoma has to continue to play great defense and be led by a guy like Danny, who statistically is doing great. We all knew he was going to have a lot of great tackles, tackles for loss. Uh, I think he's on pace right now to maybe break the school record for tackles for loss in a season if he can keep it up. But uh, I think it's the leadership and the maturation of him that has really changed. And It'll be fun to watch him on Saturday because he's somebody that you could look you could look back in a few years and be like, man, remember that big play Danny Stutzman made uh, in the Cotton Bowl? It seems to always happen with OU's linebackers, especially under Brent Venables. You know, I I just think back to some of the stuff that was said last year, and you know, I, I think Teddy's kind of been a mentor for Danny just yeah. as far as his development and everything that uh, we see now out on the field. And I would have to imagine talking to Teddy about Danny. He's almost like a proud dad right now. Oh, 100%. It's like his own son is out there uh, performing really well. And, and it was funny. You know, he's like, there's a lot of critics out there um, about the way OU's playing defense, the way Danny's playing defense. Uh, he's like, he, he's just really excited. I mean, he thinks OU's going to go win on Saturday. Uh, and the national story is going to be about OU's defense and that they're back. Uh, and so he's pretty fired up for Danny and the way he's playing. And uh, I don't know, it was just a fun conversation to talk to him. And like I said, Danny's dad, Steve, was was really good. And uh, you know, kind of talking about his transition from, um, you know, being just a young guy that was trying to learn a lot sure. to now uh, being a man that's, that's you know, become really the best leader for this team right now. And I think that's maybe the most amazing part about this whole entire transformation. You saw flashes, and especially at the end of last year, uh, that he was starting to come on. Things were starting to become slower to him. He was starting to see things. And you've kind of seen that all come to fruition. And, you know, I think the biggest thing for Danny is 
this idea that he's become basically the leader of this defense. He's become, I think that there's some guys that would call him the heart and soul of the entire team. Definitely. Just the way that, you know, because he does have a great personality off the field, but at the same time, when he steps onto the field, it seems like it's a little bit more serious. He's taken a little bit more to, to heart just in terms of what that position means to not only Brent Venable's defense, but just kind of his presence out there on the field. And it's kind of cool to just see that up close and that transformation. I think it's similar to to Dylan Gabriel, too. Learning that you're the starting quarterback at Oklahoma, right, is always a transition. I think that it's the same at middle linebacker. Me and yeah. Teddy were kind of talking about that. You think of the great linebackers that have come through Oklahoma, Brian Bosworth, Rocky Kalmas, Teddy Lehman, Torrance Marshall. The list goes on and on. Travis Lewis, Kenneth Murray. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's one of those positions behind quarterback, maybe the most important in Oklahoma history, uh, and one of those that that position that you know when things go bad it, it's often on the linebacker the linebacker falls on the sword so I think Danny's really embraced that he wants to be great uh, he won't say it but I think being in the Buckus conversation probably means a lot to him uh, if he can continue to be there maybe even be a finalist yeah. at the end of the year so it's been fun to watch him you know he's a guy you also just root for sure good kid uh, and you hope that he can have a big moment Good Saturday. Good kid, great family, and a great opportunity for Oklahoma defensively going into Saturday. George, what's your favorite OU Texas moment or experience? I, let's go moment, just game only moment. Man, that's um, you're putting me on the spot I'll, here. I'll give you a second to think. It doesn't take me long. It you only got to go back a couple years, and it's the 21 comeback. I think that that is kind of one of those moments yeah. that will live in lore for a long time. I know that. Everybody out there probably doesn't like the people that were a part of it, but it still happened. You were happy when it happened, and uh, it was it was just awesome to be there. E- everything from the morning of the game to the way that the game started, Texas scoring on the first possession, or, I mean, uh, the first play, rather, on their opening possession, the block punt. People forget the block punt that put them down 14 to nothing, and then all of a sudden it was 28 to 7, and here comes Caleb Williams and moment that I don't think from that second half on and the moments of walking back from uh, you know the, the beginning of the fourth quarter from the Texas side down to the Oklahoma side as that comeback started uh, or I guess was ongoing and then for you know I think it was like the third or fourth play to start the fourth quarter that they score Caleb Williams has the rip away and then all of a sudden it was like not only were they going to win but were they going to win by a couple touchdowns it almost seemed like uh, that was just, it was an incredible experience inside the Cotton Bowl. And I think one of those things that people will talk about for years upon years, uh, and it just kind of adds to the lore that is OU Texas. I remember, so I was covering the Broncos at the time. They were playing um, uh, in Pittsburgh the next day. So yeah. I watched a Pittsburgh bar um, and was just, I could not believe what I was watching when that game was going on. I remember my brother was texting me. He was at the game sure. as a student. He said, I've never heard the stadium like that ever before ever. in his life but it was, it was shaking i mean yeah, it, that's what he said he said the first time it's ever shaken that he's been at the, the, the game so crazy I, I think the moment for me eddie it's actually a game oh you lost uh but when i was a student journalist working at the school newspaper the kyler murray comeback which yeah. was so close to being just as good sure. as that caleb williams one um you know that one i remember the 67 yard touchdown run and that's when i was like Holy shit, this yeah, guy that, is unreal. That is one of the better like videos of him just racing down the sidelines. Unreal. He unreal. Was, that was an unreal game. It obviously didn't go Oklahoma's way, but even the you know, the other one that would come to mind, Eddie, just as a student, uh, you know, I was there for twenty fifteen when they got upset. Mm-hmm. Uh twenty sixteen was kind of the shootout D D Westbrook game. 
The 2017 game, I think, is underrated. OU jumped out to an early lead, the Mark Andrews touchdown. Yeah. But I remember being down on the field at the end of that game, and Sam Ellinger and Texas had a chance to go down the field. And Obo Okoronko, they were wearing the white jerseys yep. that day, and there's that picture of him out there where he's just— It's an incredible pick. He's just covered in, like, green grass stains and, and the dirt, and he's just, like, falling over at the end of the game, just totally exhausted. And I was like, that is the perfect representation of what this game means— to so many guys. Yeah, it, it's crazy. And I, I think that just the entire day, as Joe said earlier, as we've talked about on multiple podcasts, on multiple YouTube shows this week, if you've never been to Oklahoma, Texas, you got to go. You yeah. got to. It, it's, it's one of those, if you're a college football fan, if you're just a sports fan in general, you got to go someday to the State Fair of Texas, first or second weekend of October. You know what I also love? We'll get into, I know you want to read some of the stories that you got yeah, sent. Yeah, they were good. One thing that I love every single year, it's maybe my favorite part of the entire season, it, one of the few best seconds I think in sports, is when the Texas band is playing yep. and they march the length of the field all the way to the OU side and they do the da na 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 yep. and the OU fans just let them have it and then they Boo turn mercifully. Yeah, it's mercifully, just mercifully. It, 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 <laughs> that's all right. That was good, that was good. Uh, but then, they, you know, they turn their backs and they keep playing the song. But uh, I just love that. That moment just epitomizes everything. And everybody's there. No one's there's no late arrival to yeah. this game. Everybody's there, you know, a good 30 minutes before kickoff. And there's and, such a pageantry about it. Yeah. Just, I think in, in in a weird way, knowing that, like, our parents went to the same place, mm -hmm. their parents went to the same place. It's just it's, it's really cool knowing that there is still a little bit of tradition as much as college football is changing around us. That that thing has been preserved. It's going to still be there for years upon years. So it seems with the city of Dallas and Oklahoma and Texas working on both sides. And, you know, I, in a way, it's the closing of a chapter this year with it. The final year of the Big 12. Uh, it's going to be a little bit weird here moving forward with it being a quote unquote SEC conference game. But, you know, at the same time. It's always going to be Oklahoma, Texas, or Texas OU if you live on the south side of the Red River. It's just a lot of fun to be a part of. Yeah, and it's it's one of those games too that it, it no matter if the team one of the teams is bad coming like even last year, I mean OU fans showed out even though they knew yeah. they were they were probably gonna get their ass kicked, right? Like I, I think that that's part of the fun of it. It doesn't matter, and that's what makes this year so exciting. It's like sure. both sides think they can win. It's gonna be juiced up, but uh, no matter. You know, who's coming into the game feeling good about themselves? The fans always show up thinking they got a shot. 100%. All right. I asked for some OU Texas stories from uh, listeners on the unofficial 40, as well as right here on the Soonerscoop.com YouTube channel. My inbox became rather full, and I'm not somebody that looks at emails quite a lot. Uh, I, I just don't do it. I don't look at emails. So I had to, I had to open up the, uh, the, the email uh, inbox, and we... Found some pretty good ones. We'll start in 2006, which is actually probably I was probably somewhere around the Dallas parts. Is that the 12-0 game? Uh, 2006? No. I'm just I was too. No. Young. How old were you 10. in 2006? I was 10. Jesus Christ! Did they lose that game? 2006. I, I, I. Side note: Went to Dallas early, and I think it was 2006. I would have been a freshman in college. Went to tech, uh, down to uh, Dallas early because there was a magical place that you could go to get fake IDs made. And we certainly did that. They were like little ID cards. Anybody that was in Dallas at the time or at Oklahoma at the time knows this place that I'm talking about. It was over on like the east side of Dallas. Quite an experience. How much? I think it was like 75 bucks or something. Oh, man, you were pay it was, overpaying it was, it, for that. It was, it, was, it was insane. But it, that was at a time where 
it must didn't have been a really matter. ID. It didn't really matter what you were getting into. Yeah. No, it was the worst. It was literally 100% the worst fake ID. And in fact, if I'm not mistaken, I think I got it taken up at some point in the uh, in the weeks that uh, that came after OU Texas. But it worked that weekend, so yeah. it didn't really matter. We went down to Dallas for the game in 2006. Was with some buddies drinking in a parking lot in the West End on the Friday before the game. Ended up getting too drunk, as one does, and thought it was a good idea to smash beer bottles in the lot. Probably wasn't the best idea. Well, after the second one, a bicycle cop showed up out of nowhere, throws me on the hood of the car, and zip ties me. I think that that's always been the move for the Dallas cops, is the zip tie uh, situation for OU Texas. It felt like it happened in a flash. He calls me the paddy wagon. This uh, truck that looks like it used for animal control pulls up, and I get put in the back on a tiny bench with some other poor souls. They whip us away to the drunk tank over closer to Deep Ellum, and as they're going to intake, uh, they're asking us if we're OU or Texas fans. Depending on what you said, they were sending you to a different room, which was smart. They gave me a cot, spent, uh, sent me into a giant well-lit room. Uh, drunken assholes like myself were scattered everywhere. I find an open spot and strike up a conversation with a guy who was also from Oklahoma City. He would go on to become, I don't know if we should say this, we'll just say he ended up becoming a prominent attorney in Oklahoma City. And I actually, like, now that I think back to it with the descriptor that he used, I think he was a fraternity brother of mine. I think. <laughs> anyway, sometime later, a wise guy uh, gets up, gets put into a room with us, and he has no cot. The dumbass uh, decided to pro- protest his perceived wrongful arrest by refusing a cot and was being loud and belligerent. About an hour later, they put a shirtless uh, another person in, is what we'll use here, with a giant pot belly into the room. There's no way this guy knows who the hell OU is or who Texas is, so they must have been splitting up their non-fans between rooms as well. This guy decides to uh, come flop right next to me, and his cot overlaps on mine. I'm disgusted and amused at the same time. I get up and decide to walk around to kill some time because uh, he wasn't getting any sleep that night. At this point, the pot, the cot protest guy was looking miserable, posted up against the wall with no cot, and is uh, completely silent. I go to the bathroom to try and find peace. That's where the uh, he found that each stall was full with guys on cots as well. Uh, there was no piece to be found. They released him about an hour later, $400 in tickets later. Uh, he had a dollar in his wallet, which I could have used to call my friends as my phone was dead. And they uh, took that and put it towards the $50 jailing fee. I was released at the butt crack of dawn, still tipsy with no money and a dead cell phone. Talk about a walk of shame. Back to the Sheridan, which I believe was also known as the Adams Mark. Did you stay at the Adams Mark ever when I you were in school? At, I stayed at the Sheridan, I think, all four years. I think that that was the same place. I, I'm Did not Did it have sure. a big ballroom down on the, uh, uh, the lobby? Yes. One of the most magical places. Is that best? I think it was 2000. Best place to stay. I think it would have been 2008. It was actually a game that Oklahoma lost, uh, the Jordan Shipley game. They ended up turning that big ballroom into a bar. Oh, and that'd be awesome. I, they probably I, will never do that ever oh, again. Oh, no, I'm sure that... I'm pretty sure after 2009 it was completely gone because, yeah. or after 2008 because it was it was literally when you think of epitome of shit shows that's what it was. Oh yeah, it was. It was. So it did was, this guy make it to the game? I don't know. And better yet, who cares? <laughs> 1956, a simpler wow. time. This is uh, this is a pretty good one. Since this has happened long ago, I feel comfortable saying the statute of limitations has passed for my granddad. So this is somebody that is passing along a story that I'm sure has been passed down. Uh, from generation to generation. Well, I guess just one generation, right? I don't know how that... Yeah. I think I got a D in that class at OU. Like, the, what is that? Genealogy or something like that? Don't ask me. I didn't On Friday... It. You probably weren't smart enough. 
That's probably true. I was. But I got a D, so it didn't really matter. On Friday night, after some heavy drinking, it was probably wasn't my granddad's best idea to keep the party rolling with a fifth of vodka in the middle of the street. He and some other rab- rabble-rousers, which I, I hope that's the word that's been used I'm sure it each is. time that this story is told, took a paddy wagon ride to the drunk tank as they were processing the vagrants for their overnight stay in Dallas County. The clerk, clerk simply asked their name and hometown. My grad, granddad quickly and confidently said, Jerry Lee Thompson, Ardmore. My granddad's name is not Jerry Lee Thompson, and he is not from Ardmore. Uh, I don't, it's Dick Boone, and he was from Atoka. I think we can say that. Morning rolls around, and his pledge brothers are looking for him at the jail. They had to bail him out. The jail repeatedly told them that there was no Dick Boone or Richard Boone in the tank. Totally confused, they decided it was time to go to the game. As my granddad was laying in his cot with his new roommates, the jailers start yelling for Richard Lee Thompson over and over and over. As he looks to tell the story now, he says he was starting to get really pissed that this Jerry Lee Thompson wasn't answering the jailer and was hoping that he would just shut up. Finally, he remembered that was his alias that he gave in his drunken stupor. The jailer informed him, informed Dick that the $40, 40 bucks they found in his wallet would cover his fine and he was free to go. His friends were more than pleased when he made it to the game on time. That's a pretty good one. That's a really good one, especially that it's 40 bucks. that long. Yeah, yeah, and 40 bucks too, to get out of jail. I'm, I don't Amazing. know what it is. Maybe we'll find out this weekend. I, Eddie, I think the question that people are going to want to know is have you taken a trip to the, to the drunk tank? I haven't. Good. I have not, which is, you know, not bad for the or run also, that I, I mean, maybe it's not disappointing. Bad. Well, it's disappointing that you have it. You might. This might come as a surprise to you, some people, but uh, I have been detained a couple times and somehow, some way I talked myself out of it. Well, that that's not surprising is that not at all. surprising at all? Yeah. Uh, sorry, a little long. Uh, Schnellenberger year had tickets to the game in a long reserved room at the Fairmont with my ex Wazoo journalism grad in OU law school at the time. Get to the Fairmont, and they had given a room to somebody else. So my ex raises hell, and the Fairmont gives us a room in another hotel and our own car driver for the weekend. So what is this, like 94-ish, 95, mm-hmm. I believe? On the way out, we see a limo out in, front of, uh, out in front with ABC in the window, so we figure it must be the crew doing the game. Sure enough, we see Keith Jackson standing in the lobby. My ex's mentor in college at, which, at Washington State was Glenn Johnson, who is the voice of the Eagles, who was also good friends with Keith Jackson. So I talk her to striking up a convo so we could get a pick. Jackson was very gracious, and we were about to take the pick when he says, well, by George, here comes Lynn Swan. Let's get him in here. So Swan jumped in. Then a voice from the other side said, should I get in there as well? And it was Bob Greasy, who had been standing there the entire time. He's so small and unassuming. I never noticed he was there. Very surreal. I'd send the pick, but it's buried somewhere. I don't know if I believe that. I think you just don't know how to attach anything <laughs> this is another good one uh and it comes with a picture i don't think that we could show the picture but uh eric lermo is a retired marine and one of my sigma nu brothers from the early 80s his dad larry was also a sigma nu and an all-american swimmer at ou in the late 1950s in 1957 larry and a couple teammates uh went to dallas on friday ou texas weekend they went out on commerce street which i have heard is just it was the the my, best place in the entire world. So I wish says. I wish that I, you know, by the time that I got to college, it had kind of turned from Commerce Street, obviously, to the West End. We had kind of started moving out of the West End even. I didn't it's even really uptown get that. uptown now. Yeah. Uptown is where everybody sure. goes. There's a place called Renfields that everybody went. And one of probably the reasons why I'll never drink uh, 
uh, what's it called? Oh God, I can't. I, Fireball? I, no, I'll drink some Fireball. What? It, it's a. Uh, it's clear. Not vodka. Uh, starts with an R. Starts with an R. Starts with an R. It was real big during my college. Rumplemints. Just hearing Carrie <laughs> yell that from the production room, I almost threw up just then. Like the smell, mm. everything about it. If you were at Brothers during the summer of 2006, 2007, 2008, you probably know why. Rest in peace. Back brother. to the story. Absolutely. They went out on Commerce Street at about 530 and Larry immediately got arrested. <laughs> I like that line. They went out on Commerce Street at about 5.30 p.m., and Larry immediately got arrested. His friends went to uh, went down to the Dallas City Jail and asked how much it would cost to get him out. They were told $25 on Friday, $5 on Saturday morning. They told Larry uh, they would see him in the morning. It was also 1957. $25 was a lot at the time. The next morning, they went to the jail and paid the $5. Larry was up at the front desk getting the property back when he noticed the old jail key sitting on the desk. He snatched it up and put it in his pocket without being noticed. His buddies witnessed the entire thing. Larry uh, went back to Oklahoma. He lives in San Jose, California. And I'll show George where the key still hangs oh, today. That's awesome. Pretty cool. I thought that was pretty awesome. I think we have a couple more that we could get into. Uh, we'll, we'll do this one because I think this one's pretty important. This is from our buddy. I think you know Danny. Slagle? Well, I don't know. Should we say last names? Ah, sure. Why not? Danny I mean, Slagle. I love Danny. Name. I don't think he'll mind. No. Uh, but this is. I this, shouldn't have said that. If no, it's like, fine. Is it, it No, it, it's, it's not an incriminating story. I think this is actually. Danny's the man, though. This would be a really, really good one to end on. Happy OU Texas week. I come to you today with a story from my grandpa. A true sooner till the day of his death. Although this isn't your typical, OU, uh, typical drunk OU Texas story, I do think it is one that should live in sooner lore. As the story goes, corroborated by the newspaper articles that he has attached, so you can look this up. This is a true story. My grandpa, Joe Fager, I believe is how you say the last name, was a student at OU in 1948. In 1948, OU beat Texas 20-14. to 14, A big upset, but made bigger by the fact that it was the first time the Sooners won the game since 1939. The long... <laughs> Side note, the Longhorns were clearly draft dodgers and still fielded a quality team while the Sooners were fighting in the real trenches. I love Danny. After the Sooners win, the Sooner faithful erupted into a frenzy that lasted far longer than usual. After a night of debauchery in Dallas, my grandfather and a group of friends stole a, state, a Texas state flag and drove 190 miles with the flag waving upside down out of the window. When they arrived in Norman... On, uh, when they arrived in Norman on Monday morning, my grandpa and his friends drove to the university president, George Lynn Cross's house, and demanded the day off of school. President Cross did not oblige, but did say that if enough students did go to class, there wouldn't be much that he could do about it, which is uh, just a funny line Amazing. in and of itself. After that word, my grandpa and his friends began going from class to class, pulling students out and starting an impromptu victory parade. Many professors were cool with it, but some took exception. And so below is an article. This is from an Oklahoma City newspaper, which I imagine at the time was the Oklahoman in 1948. Yeah. Uh, quote, student, students got into tiffs with professors when they tried to break up classes with their cheering and booing of the professors. One professor, the assistant comp controller of the university and special instructor in accounting, hit one student in the face with a book. Eventually, enough people were in the in this parade and they decided to leave the demonstration to Oklahoma City to the state capitol where they presented the flag to the governor. And there's a picture of the students 
at the state capitol with the governor. At this point, it was late in the afternoon. The governor at the time had a good laugh about it and said that all absences from that day in accordance with President Cross would be excused, a tradition that kept going through OU history. I do remember a time when I was in school that Oklahoma won the OU-Texas game and then class was canceled on Monday. Really? I think that... I'm trying to think. Boring canceling classes after the win. In two, yeah, he did it after 2000. Maybe I just canceled it for myself. I was because, about to say, it sounds like you may have just skipped class. Yeah, there was plenty of stuff to do. I know I love this story because it's my grandpa who started it, and he's the reason I'm a Sooner today. Uh, but also students protesting and parading around the president's lawn through classes, getting into fights with professors, and then going to the state capitol to get a single day off school after beating Texas is objectively badass. Danny, we appreciate that story. I thought that was a really, really good one. This one is maybe my favorite. This is something that I think will be relatable to us, and it will be a good one to end on as we send everybody off into OU Texas Week. All the way back in 2016, and I I know the guys that pulled this off. I've been contacted by them. I I'm well aware of uh, their antics. The week before the OU, uh, the week before the game, we all got together at one of the guys' houses and took headshots, starting putting together a plan. They were going to make their own media credentials to get into the game without paying to get tickets. <laughs> I love it. And yes, you guessed it. A bunch of 23 year olds were far too poor to purchase Photoshop. These bad boys were going to be made on Microsoft Paint. The day of the game, we drove the three hours down to Dallas with freshly laminated credentials and devised a plan on how to how we were going to get through the gate. The thing that nobody tells you is that not only do you have to get into the stadium, but you also have to use the credential to get into the fair. We watched from the parking lot as people flashed their badges to the fair security and walked right on in. We noticed sim- uh, we noticed immediately uh, the cre- media credentials for 2016 were much bigger in size and were golden black in color. I kind of remember these. Yeah. I think it might have been a uh, like 50th anniversary of something. I, I can't remember. Well, they usually have like a little ticket you rip off. Right, the on bottom, the bottom. Which, by I don't, the way, I don't think I don't think do. this year's do. Maybe but, we have fake ones. Yeah. Far from different from the red and white badges that we had thrown together. We decided to just go for it. We walked right up to the gate attendants, barely making eye contact, and flashed our badges. We didn't give them time to look or say anything. We just kept walking. Nobody stopped us. Step one complete. We were in the fairgrounds for free. Which I think anybody that has walked into the State Fair of Texas knows. Eh, well, maybe we shouldn't say this, but they don't check them just real great. The The process is pretty simple to get into. It's a little yeah. bit harder to get into, as these boys found out. We ate food, drank uh, the drinks, booed at the Texas buses, rolled in. Uh, and then it was time for the real challenge, stadium security. We rolled up to the main entrance under the giant cotton bowl letters. Uh, walked the steps up and immediately got hit by an older security lady who had no idea what we were carrying and started calling someone over on a radio. We made up a quick lie. Oh, the rest of the other guys are over there and quickly bounced away uh, before anybody could take a real good gander at him. We walked to the side and found it. We walked to another side and found a new entrance. We hit the attendant there with these are our intern badges. We're meeting other people on the inside here. She wasn't buying it. Told us we needed to go to the media tunnel, which we're both very yep. well familiar with. It's where the team gets dropped off. It's re- it's actually pretty hard to get into. Yeah. There was a media tunnel. It was very official. They were checking and double-checking everything over there. We wanted no part of that process. Finally, we walked around to the backside and found a group of what can only be described as high school volunteer group running the entrance. We walked up the first unsuspect uh, we walked up to the first unsuspecting girl, set our pitch, and she waved us through like a third base coach begging us to go score. We made it. The pinnacle of college football had been breached by three idiots and a Microsoft Paint. 
The best part of all of this is that I missed my firstborn's baby's baby shower to pull this stunt, which if that doesn't tell you anything about just kind of the craziness that goes into OU Texas weekend, I don't know what does. The wifey was not happy. Uh, I repeat, not thrilled, but cooled down after a bit. Imagine if I had skipped the baby shower and not gotten into the game. What a shitty day that would have been for me. Oh, you went on to win the game. We told the story to all of our new stadium friends, took some photos, and left with a full time of memories. And they uh, they included a, a picture of them uh, in the attachment. So That's pretty awesome. cool story. Who needs it, to go to a baby shower? It's one thing. I mean, I, look, maybe. The, Maybe the father, but I mean, I don't know. I mean, he needs to be there for the birth, but the baby shower, you know, that's sure. a wife thing. You yeah. Know? Well, that's why we're <laughs> my both. mom's not going to appreciate that's, it. And that's why, well, one of us is single and George don't have any babies anytime soon. I won't wait. I, well, okay. Wait, so wait, we, that was long. It was really good. Those were good stories, man. I enjoyed them. I enjoyed uh, them. And th- but I, I want to know your favorite. We have, what's your story? Like just mine in yeah. general. Yeah. Like just like a favorite. Do you have a story text? like that? Man, yeah. I, there's probably some that I'm not willing to uh, incriminate yeah. myself. I think that just the weekend that is is probably the story uh, that I enjoy the most. Just going down there, yeah. and especially during the times in college, uh, going down there with fraternity brothers. We would usually go over to Fort Worth on Thursday night, hang out over there, play golf on Friday, and then uh, just kind of go crazy. I think Friday of OU Texas uh, is one of my favorite days of the year. Mm-hmm. I, it, it just seems like a little bit of a holiday. I know uh, Georgia, Florida has party beach or whatever they call it down in Jacksonville. OU Texas weekend for us is always usually kind of spent rounding everybody up, uh, whether it be Katie ice house or somewhere in that sector of uh, Dallas and just kind of getting ready. And it's almost a reunion of sorts uh, that I, I don't know. It's just, it never gets old. It starts on Monday for a lot of people. I know it started on Monday for us uh, this week and, you know, kind of the coverage and everything that we put out it's uh it's just a it's a great weekend and i think that you know when any time that it's talked about moving it away from the state fair of texas as shitty as the cotton bowl is it's our shitty place and if anybody yeah. ever like outside of the ou texas realm calls it shitty it's like you watch your mouth yeah. you don't say that about that place it's yeah. just it's a very very unique atmosphere game and everything in between and like you said it's so cliche to talk about but OU could be 0-5 or 5-0. Texas could be 5-0 or 0-5. And I think that there is that same fervor, that same passion, that same energy that goes into all of it. I thought you were about to get emotional there. It's it's emotional weekend. I, I, I love I it. I agree. I agree. I love it. It's a lot of fun. Yeah. I mean, I, I will always love going as a student. I mean, I, I, I've told the story a million times of breaking my arm the night before. You've been to a hospital the night before OU Texas. Well, I actually didn't go to the hospital. Oh, that's, you did it. That's the story. Is uh, I was working as the as a student reporter that's for right. the student newspaper. That's right. And I was on a scooter and I had a couple drinks, but not a lot. I just hit a curb and broke my arm about 10 o'clock at night, the Friday night before the 2018 game. Uh, luckily, my uncle in Dallas is an emergency room doctor. I went, to saw, went and saw him. Uh, he had been drinking because he was going to the game the next day. And he's like, uh, I can put it in a sling, and then you can go work the game. Uh, and then the next day after the game, go straight to the emergency room. So I went to the game with a sling, my arm. I remember you was, showing up with the sling. I was on a lot of Advil. Um, OU lost. Uh, I remember I wrote uh, uh, Mike's Fire Mike Stoops column, actually, <laughs> right after that game. Uh, and then as soon as I was done. How did you done, type? It was, uh, it was very hard. I had to like position my hand just like this the whole time because i broke it right here in my, oh my god elbow so 
went to the emergency room right after. My dad was not happy. Uh, I remember him being pretty pissed. So yeah, you lived to tell the story, though. It yeah. makes for a great story. It was right? awesome. Yeah, it was great. And I mean, but like you said, it's every week, and you just you just never know what to expect, man. It's it's so much fun. It's gonna be a lot of fun, and it's here. OU Texas weekend. As you're watching this, I think with it being Thursday, you can officially say OU Texas weekend is yeah. here. I don't know anybody. A lot of people take. I'm I'm, I'm taking off today uh, to head down there to Dallas. My brother lives down in Uptown. He actually lives. In the apartments right next to the Katie Ice house that you're talking about. So we'll yeah. hit up there this weekend. But uh, yeah, Thursday, come on. Nobody's, I think all week people have been taking off. So yeah, it's, it's going to be a lot of fun. So we appreciate it. Next time we talk here on Soonerscoop.com's YouTube channel, we will be at the Cotton Bowl. And something will have happened. We don't know what, uh, but we will talk to you on the other side for the post game uh, instant reaction from the field down there on the Cotton Bowl. And then Obviously, you can catch us on the Eskridge Lexus post-game show. It's a great time to join Soonerscoop.com as well. 50% off of a yearly subscription for first-time subscribers. If you are interested, hit up Soonerscoop.com. I know that all of our social media have links as well. So, enjoy your weekend down in Dallas. Be somewhat safe. And hopefully for you out there, it'll be a good football game. Much better. Than last year. I think OU is going to score this year, so that should be good. For George Stoya, I'm Eddie Radosevich. We'll talk to you on Saturday. Instant reaction.